I'll be reading this morning's passage from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 13. If you'd like to turn um, there with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, and I know what it is, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we can see you face to face as we have sung this morning. We thank you that we can look upon your eyes and to see the love and the grace that you have for us through your eyes. And so, Father, we ask that we rest in this place of knowing we can see you face to face. We can hear your voice and we can hear you speaking to our hearts. And so let all those things be open to you this morning. Let us open our ears, hearts and minds as Spencer comes to speak your word to us. May you fill Spencer. May you encourage and affirm him. And we thank you for your presence that is soaking with us this morning, that you just permeate and are wanting so much to be with us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you made it this morning. I know it was, uh, it was a little touch and go for me this morning as well as I woke up and I was like, wait, what time is it? Am I waking up at the right time? Am I going to be horribly late for church? I don't know. <laughs> but clearly, I made it. So I'm really excited to be able to be here with you guys this morning. Jenny, thanks so much for reading uh, our passage that we'll be focusing on primarily this morning. And when I preached back in January, I didn't expect that we'd get to spend six more weeks on this passage uh, I had the temptation to try and do all of it all at once, and I'm glad that I held back from that a little bit because I've been really encouraged as we've been able to dive into uh, this book a little bit more together. Uh, I'm happy to get to jump back in at this point, particularly because it wraps everything up, but especially because I feel like it really wraps up what we talked about in Chapter 3, both last week as well, back in January, when I started us off. Now... Uh, while it's still practical, the passage that we went through in Philippians 3, it gives a pretty theological description of how to live our life. 
Uh, Paul writes that the way we resolve to press on in our Christian life is through the power of Christ. And he uses this race imagery to paint a picture of us running towards the perfection of Christ. Now, we talked about how to maintain resolve in this as Christ empowers us. And we also unpack this idea of perfection, remembering that morality isn't the end goal or the definition of perfection, but that the end goal is actually this idea of full and perfect communion or relational wholeness with God and with his creation. And if chapter 3 is a little bit more theological and conceptual in nature, then chapter 4 balances that by bringing a little bit more practicality into the mix and showing us how this wholeness will bring, bring peace in our lives. And we often see people seeking peace in their life. We often seek peace in our life, but a lot of times it can be distorted by sin or a sentiment that we can get there on our own effort and by our own devices. And this clip, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Peter is in here. Are you in here, Peter? <gasps> he's oh, he's in nursery. Okay, so we'll have to tell him that he missed this this moment that I was hoping him and I could share together. I hope this is great for everyone, but I knew that at least Peter and I would enjoy this. Anyway, I won't ramble about that more. Let's take a look at this clip on the screen, and then I'll keep on going. I got no leg room back here. Move your seat forward. It's as far as it goes. There's a mechanism. You just pull it and throw your body weight. I pulled it. It doesn't go. If you want the leg room, say you want the leg room. Don't blame the mechanism. All right, Dad. We're five blocks from the house. Sit sideways. Like an animal. Because of her, I have to sit here like an animal. Serenity now. Serenity now. What is that? Doctor gave me a relaxation cassette. When my blood pressure gets too high, the man on the tape tells me to say, Serenity now! Are you supposed to yell it? The man on the tape wasn't specific. What happened to the screen door? It blew off again? I told you to fix that thing. Serenity now! Okay, I, 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 it sounds like you guys enjoyed it. I just finished watching uh, Seinfeld. I watched the last episode just a month or so ago, and so it's really been on my mind. But I think we can all understand what Frank's problem here is. Peace isn't, well, there's a lot of problems that Frank has, I think, in this moment, but we know particularly that peace isn't just something we can get from a self-help tape from our doctor, right? Uh, we aren't passive spectators, and while some of these tools will absolutely help us, but trying to seek internal peace on our own will end up leaving us disappointed. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I know in my life, I've often had a misguided idea of what perfection and peace is and how I can get there. Uh, now, a few years ago, I was going through a bit of a, a rougher season with life and accident recovery and that, and I read a book called The Road Back to You, and yes, you would likely find it in the self-help section of the bookstore, but it did show me some really cool things and it had a really cool uh, faith application in it as well, and one of the things that I was able to take from it is how my personality is such that I can default to a rigid outlook on life where for things to be okay according to my inner voice, they need to be without error. Uh, wrongly, I'll believe that uh, the only way I can know peace on the inside is if everything is perfect on the outside. And so if I'm not careful, success in my life and my relationships and my faith can become driven by an idea of don't mess up or 
get 100% on the test. And it works sometimes, but for all the success it might bring, it always brings an equal measure of disappointment and emptiness, really, because my end goal is actually misaligned in this. We all have our own ways that we'll do this sometimes. And it brings relational strain between us and other people. It brings strain internally between us and ourselves, so to speak. And it definitely brings strain between us and our relationship with God. And it always brings disappointment because we can't get to this peace on our own, as I said, right? And so if God's desire for perfection is relational wholeness, then the peace and joy that we can receive from him are the fruit of that wholeness. When we have our prize clearly in focus, we enter into a journey of discovering how this peace and contentment comes from the perfecting love of Jesus. Now, chapter 4 brings us a few of the most quoted Bible passages, or at least the ones that I'd always be memorizing if I was at Bible camp or in Sunday school. We have Philippians 4, 6-7, 4, verse 8 and 9, and 4, verse 13, which is maybe the most recently quoted in pop culture and stuff, with, I can all do all things who, through Christ who strengthens me. And I want to start at verse 6 and 7 here. Uh, it's one that I bring to mind particularly, uh, and it says, do not be anxious about anything at the start of the passage there. Or in other translations, it'll say, don't worry about anything. I believe the NLT translates it that way. And Paul uh, contrasts this idea of anxiousness or worry by instead calling for peace and joy. We've mentioned a couple times that Paul was in jail when he wrote this letter, but it's also interesting to note and remember that Paul likely wrote this letter of consoling the Philippian church. According to one commentary that I read, the goal of consolers in ancient times was not simply to empathize, but to actually defeat grief and to replace it with as much joy as possible. And that's why we see the theme of joy being a primary one of this letter. Paul is consoling the church here. Really, he's consoling his friends, people that he cares about. And he's calling them to rejoice and to trust God with their worries. This church had a number of things going on that would have been rightfully causing them anxiety. Paul, whom they cared for deeply, was in a Roman jail. There was persecution they were facing from those outside the church, and there was also infighting inside the church. And we see this noted in the verses just preceding this passage, where two of the female leaders in this church, Euodia and Syntyche, are having some sort of disagreement, and Paul is calling them to come to some sort of resolution and for the church to help them in that. Paul encourages this church for their great work in spreading the gospel, but he also knows it hasn't been easy for them. And we can relate to this sentiment, can't we? We all have things going on in life that can cause us to be stressed and to worry. And even further, some of us can have medical diagnoses related to mental health or other unique circumstances that can make it even more complex and discouraging at times. And Paul is not telling us to forget those things. In fact, quite the opposite. He knows, number one, that God is grateful that we care about things that matter. He knows that God understands the pain that we're going through. God's grateful that you care about your kids, your finances, and your friends. God grieves with us when we grieve. That said, 
we have worries that also can be rooted in things that, that really don't matter at the end of the day, right? Or they can be rooted in irrationality that can lead us to buying 10 years worth of toilet paper. <laughs> I hope none of you have done that. <laughs> Maybe five. That's, okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that aside, what this passage is actually calling us to is a different perspective on our worries as we engage in the trials that we may face. It calls us to not allow our worries to control our actions and our outlook, but instead to think with the mind of Christ. And Christ himself talks about worries in the Sermon on the Mount, in fact. In Philippians, or sorry, not in Philippians, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, Do not worry about your life. And then he goes on to say, instead, we should seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. In this passage, he sums things up remembering us, uh, reminding us to love our Heavenly Father, remember that he has great things for us, and he says essentially, summed up, if God cares enough to keep the cosmos in order, how much more will he care about us as his daughters and sons? Paul here is pointing to a similar mindset. He calls the reader to rejoice because we don't have to carry these burdens on our own. And time and time again, Paul himself has seen God present in his circumstances, and that would have allowed Paul to build up a resilient trust in God's faithfulness, even when things didn't quite turn out the way that he would have expected. But how do we get there ourselves? Back in January, I'd mentioned how pursuing Christ to greater depths will give us a heavenly perspective, and this will change our thoughts and actions. But chapter 4 takes us one step further and gives us some more specific direction on how we can do this. It calls us to pray. It calls us to present our requests to God and to have the mind of Christ. Paul says in verse 6, In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And in verse 8, he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So as we petition God and surrender our trust to him, as we meditate on God honoring things, we seek a heavenly mindset. And God responds to us with the gift of increasing peace and wholeness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Quite simply, this starts with prayer and meditating on God's word. What we put in our minds matters far more than we realize. Now, hold on, wait with me here, don't check out quite yet, because I am about to say this, prayer and reading your Bible matter. We all know this, but it can become something that we might, and maybe this is just me, but it's something that we can be like, I know that, I know that, I know that, and then I just don't really see the actual change that's happening from it. But stay with me here, because not only do we see this in Scripture, but I started reading a book that talks about how on a scientific level, prayer and meditation can actually be shown to rewire our brain. And I think this is fascinating. I started reading this book called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she's done research particularly on neuroplasticity and how we can intentionally rewire our brains, so to speak, and impact our bodily health through it. So listen to a few of the quotes that I have here from her book. She says this, 
Science is now able to demonstrate that we are wired for love, and fear, which incorporates anything toxic, is therefore not the norm. She goes on to say, scientists are proving that relationship between you and how you understand and perceive your inner thought life, your community, and God have a huge impact on how your brain works. Or this, which ties directly into our passage, uh, clearly then, following the advice of Philippians 4.8, will have a profound healing and regenerative impact on our bodies and minds by affecting our genetic expression. It talks so much about how, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to botch this now because I didn't write it in my notes here, but it's, it's fascinating how even, and we know this too, just having uh, you know, patterns that we develop in our life. She goes through this 21-day plan about rewiring your brain, and it's fascinating just the different things that she, that she pulls out on how uh, science is showing that what we're putting in our mind matters and that what we put in our mind actually impacts and controls our brain, and then obviously that controls our body and the different things that are going on in it. I'm going to be reading this with a group here, and so maybe in a few months I'll be able to unpack this a little bit more. But I find it fascinating. And I bring this up primarily because I want us to remember this, that reading our Bible and praying aren't just cute ideas from Sunday school, right? Now, none of us would say that, but I know it's easy for us to fall into that kind of habit where it maybe doesn't seem like it's quite as important as getting to work on time. Uh, And don't get me wrong, I know getting to work on time is important. I felt that this morning I needed to get to work on time so I could be here. I understand that. But it makes me think of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says this, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Reading God's word renews our mind. Praying to God changes things. It allows us to receive God's peace in our lives. Scientifically, it can be proven, and spiritually, it goes without question. A God not, uh, wants us to not only devo- devote ourselves to prayer personally, but he wants us to become prayer-filled communities of believers. And I love that we took time here this morning to be able to pray for Ryan, uh, particularly because I love you, man, and I want to be lifting you up, but also it just shows what a great uh, community we can be as we come together in prayer. And North Point does this so well, I feel like. I'm sure other churches do as well, but I love, I, I love you guys and, and the way that we're able to do this together. And it's been really encouraging for me as I've joined our North Point community and as I've been able to see without feeling forced or like I have to do this, people just simply want to come together and pray. Uh, it's been encouraging for me, and that's kind of the point I want to get to here, is that as we pray for one another, as we see one another praying for each other, this inspires us, it encourages us to do the same thing ourselves. If we go back to Dr. Dr. Leaf's quote, it impacts the way that we see our community, the way that we see God, and the way that we see ourselves. And it makes a difference. As we follow Paul's call here, really Christ's call, not only will our minds be conformed to that of Christ's, but will influence and encourage one another to go deeper in that journey as well. Now Paul backs up these statements with his own circumstance. We see Paul encouraging us through the heavenly perspective that he himself has been able to cultivate. If we go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 18, we see him simply rejoicing in the name of Christ being preached, even if people's motives aren't 100% pure. And following that, he shows us how to live, uh, how, it shows us how either in life or death there are positives for him personally. And he sums it up here 
in verse 21. He says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Or as one paraphrase puts it here, my true life is in the anointed one, and dying means gaining more of him. I like the way that's worded there. Now this isn't an easy place to get to. Yes, God desires it for us without question. Uh, Increasing trust in him is part of our goal, but this isn't a a perspective we get to overnight. Excuse me. Uh, We know that, and Paul knows this, because it's been a journey for him as well. We can, we can see some of Paul's journey in getting to this point if we bring all of his letters into view. Uh, one commentary by Gordon Fee parts, points to the largeness of Paul's heart in this passage towards those with questionable motives, compared to other times where Paul would speak quite strongly against them. And Fee says, Paul's joy lies with his perspective. His ability to see every pirouette both for its own beauty and for its place in the whole dance. Now that's not to say that Paul loves everything that's going on in his situation. Uh, There's unquestionably hardship in being imprisoned, right? Uh, There's pain in hearing people preach with false motives. Uh, It'd be hard hearing that the church that he cares about uh, has issues that they're going through as well. But he sees how God is bringing good out of the bad. Or, as Fee says, Paul has learned by the grace of God to see everything with the divine perspective. Let's look back at chapter 4, but halfway through verse 11. Uh, And so, yeah, halfway through verse 11, it says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And then, sorry, he goes on to say this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul points to a secret here that he's learned, a level of Christ's sufficiency, so to speak, that allows him to be content not only in this situation, but in any situation. This is the divine perspective that Fee is talking about in in his commentary. And this is what Paul means in Romans 8.28 when he writes that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. God intersects with both the joy and pain in our lives, desiring to take care of us and to help us see how he is still active in the world around us. Now, verse 13 is one that's been well documented to be, mis- it's well, been well documented to be misapplied sometimes. And sadly for myself and probably many of the kids out there, it doesn't mean that I can do anything I want via heavenly superpowers that will be endowed on me, and I cannot be recruited by Tony Stark to join the Avengers at some point in my life. It would be cool, but no. <laughs> Maybe we'll meet Robert Downey Jr. someday, but not, not that, no. But what it does mean is this. It does mean that I can make it through any circumstance, through the peace of God that guards me, and the strength of Christ that empowers me. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Let's remember, this isn't a secret that Paul simply learned through repetition and getting better at it. 
nor is it done by him ignoring the pain in our life, nor is it us ignoring the pain in our lives. It's done through the, uh, pardon me, uh, we, we talked about this with, with perfection as well, right? We talked about how the wholeness with God and others doesn't simply come through our achievement, but it comes through our surrender and pursuit of Jesus. And in the same way, peace and joy don't simply come by us learning to do it better. Simply yelling serenity now over and over again won't cut it. And as we see in verse 6 and 8, this contentment comes through prayer and the renewal of our mind. This creates an internal change of heart and motive. Our brain starts to rewire itself towards a Christ mindset. And the Spirit guards us with peace as we go through the trials and hardships we encounter. As our relationship with Christ grows, so too does our ability to align with his heavenly perspective. And this is what Christ's sufficiency looks like. Now, peace also has a profound impact on our calling to make disciples and go into our world, particularly what I see in the world today. John 14, 27 says this, Christ uh, himself says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. Now, I recently had uh, an experience that caused me to reflect on this idea of peace well before uh, I found out I'd be speaking on it. I went to Hawaii in January, as many of you know. Uh, I went and I stayed on the island of Maui for a week, and I've been going there, I've gone there a few times before with my family. This year, though, timing didn't quite line up. Uh, My parents were going the week after me. Actually, there was two days that overlapped, so I got to see them for a little bit for an afternoon. Uh, But usually I'd stay with them, and so I thought, okay, I just won't go this year. No big deal, no problem. But I had a little bit of an an itch. I was like, no, you should try this kind of solo travel idea. I thought about doing it a little bit during the summer last year when I had some time off, and I hadn't for one reason or another, but I was like, no, this is your chance, dude. Let's do it, right? And so I booked a hostel, and I expected I'd meet some cool people there, uh, I, but I'd probably just relax. I'd drink my coffee, I'd sit on the beach, I'd maybe do some scuba diving, I wanted to try some of that. And I just figured I'd have just a kind of a relaxing time similar to what I would when, when I was with my family. But instead, I was really blown away by the experience I had. It was so different from what I expected. Uh, and it was really one of the best travel experiences I've had so far. Uh, I met some people that were, were awesome. Uh, people that I only got to know for a week, but now I really count as friends and I hope I can run into them someday again soon. And, and this left such a profound impact on me. Uh, because of the friendships I was able to make, yes, but particularly because of the peace that we encountered in that environment. Now, it was a, pa- a place where all the right variables were there, right? Uh, people are on vacation. They're relaxed. They're open. They can leave a lot of their worries at the door when they come into the hostel, so to speak, right? It's in a beautiful location. It's a relaxed vibe. There's a sense of aloha all over the place. Uh, no one was really in a hurry, and almost everyone was open to meeting new people and, and doing new things, right? Uh, there is a sense of contentment and joy that rubbed off on people, and time really seemed to stand still while we were there. Uh, it was fascinating to see how some people changed over their time 
uh, particularly the first couple of days. So after I'd been there for a while and I was watching new people come in, and you, you know, you have your first introductory meeting with them, you kind of get a sense of who they are. But then as they were there longer, uh, things started to change. Their walls that they might have come with started to crumble. Uh, their masks would fall off. And they began to let others in as the joy around them kind of started seeping into their bones, I'd say. Now, things weren't perfect on Paradise either, and I have told some of you a, kind of a, a fun and random story about that, and that if you want to know that, I'd be happy to tell you about it later. Uh, I was on the road to Hana, and things got crazy. <laughs> but beyond that, it was incredible, and it was such a gift. It was this awesome experience. And there are times in my heart, even on Friday, honestly, I have, I have a picture from my trip in my computer background, uh, and we were at the Gertsons, and they have an awesome TV that they let us use, and so I had this big picture up in front of me, and I'm like, oh, I miss it there, right? And not just because, yes, it's nice and warm, and it's freezing cold here, but because of this sense of peace and the relationships that I got to have there, right? What I want you to take from my story is, is, is this. Uh, our hearts ache for contentment, right? Our hearts ache for peace. Because that's what we've been created for. Now, I got a super condensed version of it because everything was perfect there and, and it was easy to have it there. But even still, that wasn't fullness. Uh, not, not just the way, at least not fullness in its fullest sense. Uh, I want you to realize that it's not just Christians that want this, right? But all of us as humans want this. We, we know it's our natural God-given inclination to want peace. Perfection, wholeness are a state that we've been created to be in. And people might have layers of woundedness or anger or brokenness that mask it, but ultimately we all want peace we'll all begin to gravitate towards it if given the right environment and enough time. But the problem is our world eventually distorts this idea. It distorts this desire and sin gets in the way. Now the peace Paul talks about is even greater than anything I might have been talking about from my experience there. Anything that would be possible on our own through idyllic circumstances, because this peace is available in situations that we'd never expect it, right? This contentment flies in the face of hardship or pain or our sinful world because this peace comes from Christ and it doesn't make sense. It exceeds anything we can understand. And even though it might not make sense, the truth still remains, as Paul says, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or not. We can do all of this through him who gives us strength. And I repeat these things that we've already talked about because I want us to frame it in this sense. We can't forget that our world needs this too. Yes, we absolutely need it. We as a community need it. But our whole world needs it because really our world needs God. And God calls us to be, be flag bearers of this peace because it's a way that we can share our gospel perspective, our heavenly perspective, on life with others around us. The lack of peace in our world is quite obvious, and I could ramble off all sorts of things about that, but we see that in places in our world there's persecution, there's, there's oppression, there's suffering. In our own world we can see the tension that's lurking in the background, the division that's around us, the us versus them mentality that people can uh, harbor that are unhelpful unha- and that can be hurtful. We see hurt and pain and despair 
and our lives and those around us. And we know that everyone understands either that it isn't meant to be this way or that there's got to be something better that we can do to make it change. And so if we share Christ's love with the world, we have a chance to break this cycle in Jesus' name. And so tangibly, we can do things like not hoard 10 years worth of toilet paper and make it so I can't buy a new toilet paper. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm good. Don't worry. We need to do things practically like slow down in school zones, right? We need to do things like shovel the extra five feet of sidewalk because our neighbor needs a little bit of help rather than cursing them under our breath because they never shovel their sidewalk. Whatever, insert your, insert your thing here, right? The things that maybe we can think negatively about, we need to actually work hard to change our mindset on it so that we can show a different mindset to those around us because people will stop and they'll think differently, not just about us, but they'll just recognize there's something different because it's Christ that they see in us, right? We need to do things that bring peace. And we need to pray. We need to pray that Christ would use our actions to create opportunities for conversation because others see us as people of peace. And as we close, I wanted us to take some time to pray and meditate on the words of God with, with a, a little guided video that we'll show in a moment. Uh, and this might seem overly simplistic, and yes, remember, I'm a youth pastor, it came from a youth thing, but I'll be super light, I'll be super transparent with you guys. I watched it and I started tearing up just because of the way that it gave me a sense of peace and it reminded me uh, of, of, of God's call. It let me meditate in a really peaceful sense. And not everyone will connect this way, I, I, I get that, but uh, maybe just humor me. Uh, and I'd really encourage you to engage with this as we watch it. Uh, I'm not sure where everyone's, what everyone's devotional or, or prayer life looks like. Uh, and there's no judgment on wherever you're at. Maybe you're spending five hours a day, and if you can do that, teach me your ways, because I don't know that. Maybe you have nothing, and that's okay too, because I want to, this can be the, the point where you start moving forward in even something like five minutes. You know, what we're going to watch here talks about how five minutes a day can be something that makes a profound impact and change in us, where we don't have to read, we don't have to be reading like, you know, 10 pages in our Bible every day. We could be reading, you know, one chunk of scripture and meditating on it, just releasing things to God and taking time to pray. If you're not even sure where to start with that, that's okay too. One resource that I talk about is uh, the YouVersion Bible app. They always have a Bible app of the day, or a, you know, a, a Bible verse of the day, and it will pop up on your phone if you want it to. There's other resources as well that I could point to to help you with that. And I want us to end on this because this is the starting point, right? If we can learn to develop a prayer life, life of meditating on God's word, this is what will cause us to seek and see more peace in our life. This is what we'll be able to spread to other people. And this is how we can help relational wholeness be experienced by those around us in our life as we, ex uh, as we experience Christ together. So I'm going to queue up the video. And then, uh, band, uh, if you want to now, I, sorry, Lauren, I meant to talk to you about this beforehand. If you want, there you are. If you want, kind of just as the video is ending there, you can come up and play, or if you wanted to come up right now and wait, uh, you know, whichever you prefer. But we're going to queue up the video now, and then after the video is done, then we'll finish with our final song, and then I'll come up to close this.
It can be hard to find stillness in our world today. You probably have times where you feel stressed, anxious, or completely overwhelmed by all the things that are expected of you. God knows exactly how you feel. Remember, Jesus lived as a human here on earth. Can you imagine all the things that people expected from him? He had crowds of people following him everywhere, asking him for healing, teaching, and miracles, which is why Jesus regularly made time to get away from the crowds, to be by himself, to pray and meditate in stillness. God wants to be your refuge, which is just a fancy way of saying your safe place. God tells us to spend time in his presence, not just to pray or read the Bible, but to be still and listen as well. That's all that meditation is, listening for God. So how do you do that exactly? Start small. Set aside five minutes where you can be alone and quiet. You can sit on the floor, on a chair, or even lie down, whatever's comfortable for you. Close your eyes and start to focus on your breath. Notice where you can feel your breath moving in your body. Maybe you can feel the air moving in and out of your nose. Maybe you notice your chest or your ribs moving in and out with your breath. Maybe you can feel your belly moving in and out. Focus your attention on that place where you feel your breath moving the most. Begin to lengthen out your breath, inhaling slowly and exhaling slowly. Don't worry if your mind wanders. It always will. When you notice that you're thinking about something else, focus your attention back on your breath again. Be aware that God is always with you. He will never leave your side and he is always on your side. We just forget that sometimes in the busyness of life. You can choose to sit quietly for a few more breaths or you can choose a verse from the Bible to meditate on. If you don't have a Bible verse memorized, you can read one slowly. Pause after each phrase to think about what that phrase means. Read these verses along with me now. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. 
He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. Bringing honor to his name. <laughs> 